The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. My head is bloody but unbowed beyond this place of wrath and tears. Looms but the horror of the shade while yet the menace of the years. Still you can find me, you can still find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments to scroll. For I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. These were the words that Nelson Mandela recited over and over and over again and again to himself while he sat there in his prison cell for 18 years in Robben Island. These words were written by a man named William Henley in his famous poem, Invictus. As a matter of fact, in 2009, Hollywood would make a movie based on this very poem, Invictus, in the 1995 final World Cup match against South Africa Springboks rugby team against New Zealand's undefeated team. The movie depicts Nelson Mandela handing these same words to Springboks rugby captain Francois Pienaar. Francois Pienaar would later lead his team into victory, defeating this undefeated giant, marking a monumental day for South Africa, 15 to 12. You see, these words are, are, are pretty much words that we can relate to because our culture and our society recites it over and over and over again to us. It may sound just a little bit different, you have the power of your future. You hold your destiny in your hands. You, you have the steering wheel to your life. And in the famous words of Frank Sinatra, who belted it out, I, I did it my way. See, much like those same words encourage Nelson Mandela, it encourages us too. It encourages us to want to take charge, to want to lead, to 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 want to do our lives our own way. But what we realize is that those words they fade away, and that encouragement. It doesn't last but for so long because what we realize is not every single one of us has a Hollywood ending. Not every single one of us has a storybook finish. And and could it be that the words that Nelson Mandela used to encourage himself with while being imprisoned are the same words that's imprisoning us? Is it possible that the same words that should be driving us to live courageously is the same words that are allowing us to act more like chickens? So follow me on this, right? So I, I used to live right outside of Washington, D.C. So me and farm animals, we're not cool. We're not best friends or anything like that. The first time I ever was around farm animals was when I moved to Washington County. Two different Washington worlds, but the the closest I ever gotten to any bit of farm animals most probably when I bought bacon or or chicken nuggets at the grocery store. But now, now that I'm here, here's what I've learned about chickens. Chickens, they have a definitive pecking order. And and in that flock of chicken, what you'll see is one of those chickens rising up to be the leader, the head chicken, the dominant one, the one that pecks at, at every chicken that gets in its way, the one that pecks at every chicken that, that, that he gets angry with or she gets angry with. And at first, the chickens don't like it, so they try to retaliate. They try to peck back. They say, no, man, you can't do that. That's not cool, dude. That's not cool, bro. So they try to peck back. And what they realize is they can't beat the dominant chicken. 
that they're, that they're not strong enough, and so they get frustrated. When they realize they, they can't win, when they realize they fail, what they do is they start to, to go against one another. And therein lies this pecking order. It starts getting created. And so the next strongest pecks on the next weakest. And then so on and so on and so on until what you have left is one lowly chicken at the bottom of that pecking order. The one that just runs around, everyone's pecking at it, and it's running around from all of the conflict. And what we see is, I don't want to be that chicken. I never want to find myself at the bottom of that pecking order. Can I just ask you this? If we're ever going to do something substantial, something great in our lives, something great in our generation together, how can we do that if everyone's in charge? If God is leading, then who's actually following? So in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, in your Bible, it's just called the book of Acts. What you'll see is this is a storyline of the acts of different individuals who follow Jesus. Now, at this time, the Christian world was, was starting to grow. The church was exploding. The word of God was spreading, but also persecution wasn't far from them. More people were going to jail, being imprisoned for their faith, being persecuted, people losing loved ones, losing friends. And so despite all the terror that was rising up, there was one guy that started to rise up above it, a guy that started to climb. His name is Philip. And so in the book of Acts chapter 8, We'll see a little bit more about this guy. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were casted out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. And so let me paint you the picture. The church is going through an extreme amount of persecution. Followers of Jesus Christ were now scattered all over the place, but despite all of, all of the church being scattered, here's Philip leading this massive movement in Samaria. See, Philip didn't just jump on the scene in Acts chapter 8. Two chapters before that, Acts chapter 6, you'll see Philip getting chosen by the leaders of the church saying, hey, you're going to be the guy that waits on tables. You're going to be kind of mid-level to low-level on the pecking order. But all of a sudden, Philip starts working himself up in that pecking order. All of a sudden, he becomes this massive leader in the church, leading an incredible movement and people were extremely filled with joy where joy was super low to be found where where the church was being persecuted people were still so fired up and so filled with joy because Philip was preaching people were were coming to him who was paralyzed who was who was who was injured and they were coming out healed they were seeing miraculous signs and wonders and so here's Philip he's thriving as a leader, despite the church being persecuted, and you and I can say, Philip, stay on the top of that pecking order. Stay right there because clearly God is blessing you. Clearly God is doing a miraculous work in you. There's, there's guys with evil spirits that are coming out without evil spirits. There's people that, that are leaving your place with joy when they know that their family members have just been imprisoned. Keep doing what you're doing because that's exactly where God wants you. Stay in the good place because that has to be where God is. 
But as we continue to read, we find that it's a little bit different. In verse 26, it says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Wait. What just happened here? There was a light that just switched. Philip is doing incredible work, and all of a sudden, God sends a message. Sends an angel down his way, and he says, I want you to leave everything, all the good that you've done, every great thing that you've accomplished, I want you to leave it behind. And you could think that God is a great God. He's going to tell me to do something great next. But the angel says, I want you to go to the desert. I want you to go to a dry and desolate place. I'm not even sure if you'll find people there, but that's where I want you to go. So here's the moment. God calls Philip. He says, go to the desert. And now he's right here at the fork in the road. He's got an option. Do I stay and continue to good work and accomplish a lot of great things, or do I stop what I'm doing to go with God? See, there's a principle in this whole thing because while you and I, we're all busy doing a lot of great work, we're doing a lot of great things, and, and I'm sure all of us want to accomplish something substantial in our generation. We want to take care of our families, but is it possible that God right now could be sending someone, maybe a message, maybe, maybe it's a command, maybe it's a call that God is speaking to us right now that maybe we're just ignoring? So what is it that God is speaking? If you have something to write with, I want to encourage you to take some notes. If you guys are joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of this. There's a, there's a little note section there that you guys can follow us along with there as well. But I believe that there is something that we can pull out from the pages of Scripture, from the principles of Philip's life that we desperately need to apply to our lives today. And it's this, that we must be the first to follow. Unfortunately... You and I, we have a culture in our society that tries to ingrain in us the very words of Invictus. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. Do it your way. But you see, it's not just the culture that, that tries to ingrain it in us. It's actually a nature that's innate inside of us already to begin with. We have a nature that is prideful that says, I can do it better. I can do it better if I was in charge. If I was in the lead, I know where I'm going. Unfortunately, we don't know where to go. It's almost like putting an infant and giving them the steering wheel of the car. It's not going to end well for you or the person in the car or those around you. That's exactly what we feel. Say, God, I want the control. I want the, the steering wheel. I want the helm of my life. Only it leads us to our own destruction and ruin. This is what the Bible calls a sin. And so sin is any intention, any action, any thought that goes contrary to who God is. And this sin creates a wedge. And so we're thinking we're heading down the right path, but we're only driving ourselves further and further away from God and all things good. And so this sin leads us to death. Physically, and spiritually, where we would live separated from God forever. See, God sees us, and we're thinking we're climbing the pecking order of life, not knowing that life has got us down, and shame and sin and guilt is pecking at us further and further and further to the ground. So what he does is he loves us so much that he sends his son Jesus, who is at the very top of that pecking order, and says, I want you to go down there, and I want you to snatch him up. He followed the leading of his father and says, I want to rescue them from sin. And so when Jesus came, he came with a sole mission and intention 
intention to rescue us from ourselves, rescue us from this destructive pattern that, that we just desire to live. And so when, when Jesus died, all of our sin, our shame, our guilt, our pride was heaped upon his life and in his death. He defeated death once and for all. So that those that would believe in Jesus would be forgiven. And you would think that that's a good story. That's exactly where Hollywood would end it. But that's not how the story goes when God writes the story of your life. See, Jesus, he didn't just remain dead. He rose from the grave, defeating sin and death so that those that would believe in Jesus Christ by faith would not just be forgiven, but would have a brand new life. See, the only, only action that produces a transaction or transformation in our lives and in God's economy is faith. So how do, we, how do we receive this new life? So God gives to us his invisible eternal spirit, and he makes his home in our spirit. So the old spirit moves, moves out. The one that wants to be in control moves out, and God's spirit moves in. says, God, you're, you're in charge now. You're the one that's leading my life, and he gives us a new and eternal way of living forever. So we don't have to follow our own desires, our own destructive patterns, but now we can follow the spirit of God that leads us to following him. See, that's what Jesus Christ did. He came to people and says, come follow me. Come follow me. People dropped everything immediately. Dropped everything immediately. Jesus' message to the world was God's nearness to those who are far away from God. He says, the only way that you're going to get to him, though, is through me. you got to follow me. So, so how, do we follow, how do we follow Jesus? I want to give you two complimentary thoughts today, and the first is this. To be the first to follow, you have to know who you're following. You see... The only way you're going to come to know someone is you got to get close enough to them. Proximity gives you the ability to understand that individual. Philip was able to know God because he was willing to follow the spirit of God that says, I know that you did a lot of great things in Samaria. I know that you healed a lot of people and a lot of evil spirit was casted out but I want you to go to the desert. So he followed the spirit of God that led him to the desert. Philip was a follower even the way that he led. He preached about Jesus. He led people to following Jesus, but here's the catch. Philip just didn't follow Jesus the easy way by just saying it with his words. I follow you with my words, God. No, he actually followed the spirit of God with his feet, with his heart, with his mind, with everything that is within him. For us, we have to be willing to do likewise. We have to be willing to do the same as well and to follow the spirit of God that leads us. So how do we, how do we follow the spirit of God that, that, that is dwelling within us, that, that's trying to lead us to a place that, that wants to get us closer to him? You see... What happened in the, the storybook of Invictus was Hollywood failed to mention that Nelson Mandela never gave the poem Invictus to Francois Pienaar. Never gave him the, the, the scripting of, of, of Mr. Henley's poem Invictus. What he gave them, though, was President Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena, which reads completely different from, you are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. Rather, what it read was, it is not the critic that counts, not the one that points out how the strong man stumbles or how the doer of deeds could have done better. No, no. 
The credit goes to the man who's inside the arena, whose face is marred. He continues on to say this, the one who gives himself to a worthy cause, that at the end knows the, the achievement of high achievement, knows the triumph of high achievement, and at worst, if he fails, he at least fails daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You and I, we are defined by who and what we follow. We're not defined by being fans of something. We're defined by who and what we follow. For me, as a, as a Redskins fan, I get zero credit whatsoever if they win a game this season. But the ones that get the credit are the 53 guys that is on that roster that plays the game because a fan never has to get his hands dirty, never even has to step foot on a field. They don't even have to show up or suit up. They can criticize all they want to when the team is losing, but they can cheer when the team is winning. But a follower, a follower is the one that's going to lay their life on the line. A follower is the one that's going to practice when no one else is around. A follower is the one that's going to suit up and show up, win, lose, or draw. Do you know 67% of Americans claim not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but they claim to have a personal relationship with him as well. But here's the discrepancy. 80% of Americans say that they pray to Jesus. There's a 13% gap between individuals say, I follow Jesus and I know him with the ones that say, I just talk to him occasionally. Why is that? It's because our our culture, our media, our movies, our music has reshaped our theology. Political correctness in its culture has morphed Jesus into this nice Sunday school teacher of a man, and we've characterized Jesus as this guy with the really cool superpowers, rather than the Son of God who died, defeated death by rising again, defeated sin and the grave, and is the Son of God that sits on the throne. We have, we have a culture that says it's okay to just be a fan. It's okay to just believe. It's okay to just, to just follow. Follow the Jesus that follows you. But can I just tell you, it is not enough for us to just be fans. It's not enough for us to just be this, this, this fan from the sidelines saying, hey, I'll cheer when everything is good, but when things are going bad, when persecution is coming, when, when attacks are coming, when things are, are going south, I'm not sure if I'm going to show up to the games or not, coach. What we need is a faith that takes us from the sidelines of idleness to the arena of action. We've got to be so compelled to work just as those guys that followed Jesus long ago says, God, I'll leave whatever I have behind. I'll follow you despite the persecution. I'll follow you even if things go bad. So here's our challenge. We have to live our lives, not just as those who believe with their mouth, but follow with their feet. And I assure you right now that the pathway to our faith has been paved with men and women who gave their lives to a worthy cause, who, who put their blood, sweat, and tears on the battlefield so that you and I, we can stand on that cause, so that those that follow behind us can stand on that very cause. So let me ask you, is your faith like that of a fan that wavers when it wins or wavers when it loses or... Or is that of a follower, the one that says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to follow and I'm going to obey, even if that means I got to go to this dry, deserted, desolate place. God, I'll go. 
Because the more you follow him, the more you'll know him. And the more you know him, the more you'll follow him. Lastly is this, to be the first to follow, you have to be the first to obey. Acts chapter 8 continues on to say this in verse 27. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kondike, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading. For me as a parent, one of the first goals I have in raising my children is to teach them to be obedient. Now, the way that I can gauge that is they're becoming good first-time listeners. If I have to present an instruction and there is an immediate response, it indicates that they're learning to be obedient rather quickly. Now, if I have to present an instruction multiple times for, for parents that, that know about this, there seems to be a delay between their, their learning curve and their learning to be obedient. Now, in other words, a failure to respond immediately can be easily looked at as an act of disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, the premise behind that is not so that my kids can do what I say, no. I know that if they become good first-time listeners to, to their parents, there's a greater probability they'll be good first-time listeners to God when they're adults. So here's Philip. He's in the desert, and all of a sudden, God says, go to that carriage. And said that he ran, he got up, and he started. Many of us will find out very quickly that the most difficult step is often the first step. The hardest part about following is actually starting. So here's what we have to know about starting. You have to start by saying yes. And it's going to sound counterintuitive what I'm going to say next. Is in order for you to obey, in order for you to follow, you have to say no in order for you to say yes. Here's what I mean by this. Every no that you, you say is actually saying yes to something else. So for us, we have to be willing to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. So we got to say no to our own agendas. We got to say no to our own plans. We got to say no to our own pleasures and purposes and say yes to God. We got to be willing to lay aside all of the things that we would rather pursue and doing to pursue the things that God is doing. We got to lay aside the things right now that we, we find success in in order for us to, to pick up the satisfaction of choosing Jesus first. So let me ask, what's your step today? What's God telling you to start doing right now? What's God doing right now and says, you need to stop doing this? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Inaction is still an action. Indecision is still a decision. So what is God doing right now that he's, he's prompting in your heart, he's prompting in your spirit to start doing right now? If you're waiting until you are fully ready to follow God, you're going to wait until the day you die. If you're, if you're waiting until you fully comprehend the perfect plan of God, you will wait until the day you die. There is no better time than the present, and there is no greater time than now to start following and start obeying. So what is the good thing? 
good thing that, that God wants you to leave behind in order for you to do the God thing. See, for us to follow and obey, that means that we have to leave the results to God. Many of us say, God, show me the end result now, and, and I'll follow you. Philip didn't know how this story was going to play out. He just said, okay, I'm going to go to the desert. I'm not even sure what that's all about. I'm doing a lot of great things. But now God is telling him, go to this carriage. So he goes to the carriage. The guy's reading a passage from the book of Isaiah, and he says, do you even understand what you're reading? And then we're going to pick up this passage of Scripture in verse 36. It says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? You can, answered Philip, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. He didn't know that whole thing was going to play out that way. All he knew was, God told me to go to the carriage, and I saw him reading, and I wanted to ask him a question. All of a sudden, the guy says, hey, look, why can't I be baptized? Philip said, of course you can. You just got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. guy says, hold the phone, stop the carriage, there's some water, I'm going in. And so Philip baptizes him on the spot. And that's an awesome story. But you see, that one act of obedience not just changed the eunuch's life. It changed an entire nation's life. History has it that that same eunuch goes back to his nation of Ethiopia to be a missionary. And to this day, Ethiopia has a 2,000 year of unbroken Christianity, which is highly unique in the continent that where it's found right now. So could it be, is it possible the 2,000 years worth of Christian impact in a nation, faith spreading in an entire continent could be traced back to an individual saying, I'll go to the desert. I'll go to that carriage. Could it be that, that all that impact can trace back to a simple act of being the first to follow, being the first to obey? Imagine with me right now, what, what can your one act of obedience do in the scope of history, in the scope of, of this generation? What can your one act of obedience do in the setting of your home? What can an act of obedience do in your marriage? One act of obedience do in your parenting, in your schools, in your community, in your workplaces? What can that one act of obedience do? In the following verses, we read that when they came out of that water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotos. He preached the good news there and every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. This was a constant thing that happened in Philip's life. Did a lot of great things in Samaria. God says, I want you to go to the desert. He goes to the desert. God says, I want you to go to the carriage. He goes to the carriage. And all of a sudden, the guy gets baptized. Says, all right, now I want you to go. I want you to go. God takes him again away from this great God work because I got a new thing for you. I got a new assignment for you. You can't stay here. I got to take you there because you'll stay right there and you'll, you'll, you'll stay in that body of water even long past that guy. 
said, I got to take you somewhere else. I got a new thing for you. You see that word snatched in the Greek connotes to this forceful, sudden action by the Spirit of God. But what's most interesting is that there was little resistance from Philip. See, God was able to do something miraculous. He was able to lead through the life of Philip in a powerful way because Philip was saying, God, I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to follow. It's not all about me being on the top of the pecking order. God, I'm willing to follow you right now. I can tell you right now, God is the one that writes our story. And if we serve him, we serve under his leadership. If we follow him, I can assure you that Hollywood cannot write a better scripting for your life. And I guarantee you that he will not mess up your ending. He's already got the details for it because we've just got to trust and obey that every act of obedience, there's a purpose and a promise right behind that. So where are you at today? What's God leading you in? Where's God speaking you at? You heard me say that the first step is always the hardest step. It's the most difficult step. It's just starting maybe right now today. God is... God is calling you. He's leading you to start following. You've been doing things your own way for the longest time. And today, maybe your one act of obedience says, God, I, I let you be in control. It starts with placing your faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never professed Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's your one act today. And I can assure you, that promise with that one act, the results... Is, is endless, limitless. God wants you to know him. And the more you follow him, the more you know him. But it starts with just placing your faith. So repent of your sin. Anything that, that drives you away from God, the, the nature that says, I want to be in control, say, God, you be in control. Forgive me and allow his forgiveness to free you, to fill you with his spirit that, that, that leads in following him. Maybe you've made that decision today and you've already, you've already committed your, your ways to God, said, I'm a Christ follower, but what's your act of obedience? What is God tugging in your heart right now to start doing? And what is he tugging in your heart to stop doing? Maybe today God, God wants you to be more servant-hearted. Maybe he wants you to, to use your giftedness, use your talent, say, I gave it to you for a reason. Now use it. Be involved in a team. Be involved in a life group. Maybe your, your act of obedience saying, I want to be like the eunuch. There's some water. I just want to get baptized. Maybe you've already made a public declaration of, to Jesus Christ, and now it's time to show the world, I want to get baptized. I want to get in the water. Maybe that's your act of obedience. But whatever the case may be, I, I truly believe God's speaking to us right now. So as we pause for just a moment, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart, speak to your spirits, and what that one act is. And I believe that as we act, lives will be changed, generations will be changed, communities will be changed, our city, our nation will be changed. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.